Tonight we're looking at Luke chapter 15. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 10. I'm going to reread these verses just to get the context of where we are just now. Um, But tonight we're focusing on verses 11 to 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman of you, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in tonight's passage, we're looking at verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
I'm guessing most people have heard this story before. If you're a Christian, you've probably done this many, many times in Sunday school. Even if this is your first time in church tonight, there's a good chance you've heard this story before. The story of the prodigal son is famous, it's well written, and it's also just a wonderful story to hear and see what's going on. It's a magnificent picture of what Jesus was all about. An incredible picture of what the gospel message is. The story of how a Christian comes to faith, how you are converted. But actually, I reckon the whole story is told not for the gospel picture, though it is wonderful. The whole story is told for the ending. It all hinges on the elder brother, the sometimes forgotten part of the parable. The part that I remember in Sunday school would be added on if we had enough time, but the prodigal son was the main part. The whole story is for the ending. And as I read verses 1 to 10 last week, we had Sam going through the lost sheep and the lost coin. And this is kind of Jesus' mini-series of three stories of lost and found. God rejoicing over repentant sinners. That's what we saw last week. Just follow through with me the logic. Parable 1, verses verses 3 to 7, is the sheep lost, found. Verse 6, rejoicing. Parable 2, coin, lost, found. Verse 9, halfway through, rejoicing. Parable 3, son, lost, found. Verse 24, rejoicing. And then there's this reaction of the elder brother at the end. I think that's the driving force of what this whole story of what Jesus is doing is getting to. The elder son, elder son didn't care for the lost and found. That's what he's saying. And the question Jesus is asking us tonight is, do we? God's heart is for sinners to repent. What's ours? To mull this over and help us, I've got, I don't have a service sheet somewhere down there. A service sheet that has two points on it. It's God's heart. God welcomes repentant sinners with real joy. And that's kind of the first act of the story, verses 11 to 24. The wonderful story of the lost son returning and the father rejoicing. And then my second point is our heart. Will you welcome repentant sinners with real joy just like God does? Act 2, verse 25 to 32, the brother's reaction to all of this. So the question is, do you share the Lord's joy? First point, God rejoices over repentant sinners. To do this, we have to imagine ourselves in a sunny Israelite town. Imagine the sand around your feet. And Jesus has been standing and he's teaching He's been teaching to tax collectors and sinners. He's been eating with them. He's been eating with Pharisees. And verse 1 tells us the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him to hear him. It's like a fringe street show. I know we had that last month. You have the people kind of gathered around. Then you have a kind of another layer of people. Then the people at the back who don't want to get too close because they might have to put money in the bucket when it ends. We've all been there. Then people, then people are the Pharisees standing at the back. So you have these layers of people the tax collectors, the sinners, the disciples, and then there's the Pharisees at the back who who are interested but want to seem uninterested, like they don't really care what's going on, but they've got a listening ear to what's going on. And what they say is in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What they say is, this guy. This guy says he's from God, yet he eats with the scum of the city. The completely unrighteous people, unlike ourselves. That's the context 
of everything that's going on, of all that's told. And verse 3 says, so he told them this parable. Jesus told the parable for this reason, because of the people who are listening and what they said. He's got one eye on the audience and one eye on the listening ears of the Pharisees at the back. So Jesus tells his story, a story we know very well, but let's go through it again. There was a man who had two sons. The younger came to him and asked for his inheritance early. He was a freewheeling spirit who just wanted to live for the moment, wanted to go out, live the life before he had to be tied down with mortgages and commitments and all these things. So he asked his father for his inheritance early and his father gives him his due. Splits the property, gives half the inheritance and he's off. He leaves, finds a foreign land, the big city, the bright lights. No one knows his name. No one tells him what to do. He's got friends. Why does he need family? He's got friends. He parties. He sleeps around. He buys and drinks. He has a great time. Then verse 13 tells us, like every student learns, the student loan eventually runs out. He squanders his property in reckless living. And as this happens, the friends who were so close to him before who he's been buying drinks for just vanish. No IOUs, no handouts. He's broke. He's alone. He's hungry. So he hires himself out as a pig feeder. He's literally in a pigsty. And as he's there, he sees the pig's food. He sees the food waste and thinks, man, I want that. And this is just a sad, sad picture of a man. At his lowest moments. And you imagine him just kind of sweating and taking mud off his eyes. And he just thinks, what am I doing here? Even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am right now. And he thinks, I'm going to go home. And he gets up and starts walking. As he's walking, he's reciting his apology to his father off every step he takes. The long walk home. And as he comes over the crest of the hill to his father's estate, his father sees him. And he runs to him. His father hasn't forgotten what he's done. He's so overwhelmed, so overcome with compassion, he runs to him, hugs him, embraces him, probably still stinking of pig. And as his son tries to rattle off his apology, say he's sorry, his father stops him and just grins and says, welcome home, son. He says to the servant, get the fattened calf, get the robes, get the rings, get the shoes. Let's celebrate his return. That's a story. That's the story of the prodigal son. And it's a great story. It's a wonderful story. I've heard it many, many times through my Sunday school. And in just big church too, but that's all right. But he starts with some passages. The thing with some passages is we become over-familiar with them. We hear them so many times we forget just how shocking they actually are. And I think with the prodigal familiarity, I tried it so many times in my practice, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. We become overly used to the story of the prodigal. We forget how shocking it actually is. Think of the people, think of the Pharisees standing at the back, listening in, and just see how unworthy this guy is of a party. Ask yourself, would you get the party poppers out for this son? Firstly, he disrespects his father in Jewish culture, a horrendous thing to do. He was greedy, impatient, spoke of his inheritance, the money he'd get when his father would die. He didn't want relationship with his father. He wanted the things. He in essence said, I wish you were dead, but give me your things. 
Absolutely no respect for his father. And then he sets off, he leaves his home community to a far off land, leaves his covenant community. Again, listen to the Jewishness of it. For a Jew to leave Israel was unheard of, it was dirty. And he lives recklessly. Verse 30, the elder brother tells us he wasted his money on prostitutes. He's completely morally corrupt. If your opinion was low, it's going to be even lower. And it gets even worse. The land, in verse 14 we hear, was in famine. In Old Testament times, this was often a sign of God's judgment on the land. So not only was he squandering his father's money, it seemed that God was judging him too. And while in this land, he hires himself out. A Jew hiring himself out to a foreigner, to a Gentile. And not just any Gentile, a Gentile who herded pigs. The kosher Jew was working in the sausage factory, living with the pigs and feeding them, even wanting to eat the food that they ate. Jesus makes this son as unappealing as possible. He makes him absolutely unappealing to anyone listening. And it's helpful to know that. To fully appreciate the grace that the father shows to him, we have to fully appreciate how disgraced he was. When he comes back, the son who took everything, who ran away, disgraced his father, his family, blew all his money, the father welcomes him and forgives him, reinstates him and rejoices over him. This should absolutely baffle us. It should shock us to our core. And the grace God the Father shows to us should absolutely baffle us. We are the son who wandered far away. Who squandered away everything that God had given to us. This is as clear a picture of the gospel message there is. The good news that Jesus brings. This is the clearest message. The scandal of the gospel. The scandal of the gospel is not to gawk at how far the son had fallen, how bad he actually was, how unappealing he was. It's that God forgives him regardless. He welcomes him back. So it's not that we are sinners, it's that we are forgiven. That should shock us. And just a helpful thing to kind of think about what grace is. I was listening to a podcast on Romans. I know, fun time listening. But that's what I was doing. I was listening to a podcast on Romans and it was describing what grace is. It says grace, this guy was talking, he was saying grace is unmerited kindness or mercy shown to God, shown by God to us. Unmerited and we don't deserve it at all. But God gives it regardless. And then the podcast carried on and it was talking Actually, it's not unmerited. Actually, it's demerited. It's that we deserve the complete opposite. And God gives us grace. God gives us kindness and mercy. We were like the sun running far away. We took the good gifts that God gives us, our body, air in our lungs, food in our belly, and ran about as far away from God as we possibly could. Think of it. The sun should have paid back the father, every single penny that he took. He could have been standing there at the door, tapping his foot, thinking, this is how much you owe me. This is how many hours you have to work. And then I'll accept you back. But he doesn't. He says, get the robes. 
get the ring. Let's throw a party over one sinner who repents. The son comes back saying, I'll work. I'll work as hard as I can. I'll be your servant for as long as possible. Just help me. Give me some food. And the father says, welcome home, son. Welcomes him with open arms. Remembering how low he was. How disgusting, how unappealing he was. And he was raised not only to a level playing field, he was raised to sonship. He was celebrated, he was rejoiced over. From such depth to such height. That's what the grace of God should tell us. That's what the grace of God is about. The scandal of the gospel, it should absolutely shock us. We're not servants, but sons and daughters, children of God, taken from such depth to such height. And because this is the gospel message, because Jesus lays it out so clearly, what he's asking us tonight is, what does this mean for you? If you believe in Jesus, if you follow him, what does it mean for you? But if you don't, he's asking, where are you? Do you know this to be true of yourself? Has God rejoiced over you? We're all sinners and in need of repentance. My question is, have you repented? And I know when I say the word repented, we have this kind of idea of fire and brimstone and all this bad teaching. But actually, what the passage tells us is not fire and wrath, it's fattened calf and rejoicing. This is good news. This is what Jesus is all about. This is what the Father's mission is in Luke. God is standing, waiting, open arms, standing atop the balcony, looking for you to return to him. He loves the lost being found, and he tells us through this, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop him accepting you. Regardless of the life you've lived or the life you are living, how morally loose you've been, squandering all that God has given you, being the most unrighteous person you know. Sam had a brilliant phrase last week. He said it was the indomitable love of God for sinners. If this father welcomes home this son, God can welcome home you. This is God's heart to welcome home sinners. Why Jesus told this story, why Luke wrote this gospel, why Jesus came to earth, went to the cross, he came to seek and save the lost. And as I said, there's two parts to this parable. That was the first part that just shows this picture of how good God's heart is. And the second part is, is our heart the same? God's heart welcoming sinners with real joy. In verse 25 onwards, it's the second part of the drama, the reaction to it. I'm going to reread it again because I think it's the part of the parable that we forget most. This is what I think the parable is pushing towards the whole time when Jesus tells it. He says, verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has come 
The only son of yours came. He has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So my second point is, will you welcome repentant sinners with joy? We've seen what God's heart is like, and what he's asking now is, what is your heart like? What is our heart like? What is my heart like? It's the part of the parable I was saying that is left out most or forgotten about when we read it. But the reaction is crucial, and here's why. Remembering who's listening in. You have the Pharisees who are standing there. The reason that Jesus starts telling this story. The other thing is just the open-endedness of the parable. I don't know if you saw that. Does he go in? Does he not? It just ends with the Father's words and him speaking. We don't know what happens. And what is meant to be left thinking is, if God's heart is like this, what is my heart like? Do I have the heart of the father or do I have the heart of the elder brother? So let's look through the brother's reaction. He finds out his lost brother has returned. His father throws a party for him and he's angry. He grumbles. Like any sibling rivalry, he goes outside and he's furious. He stands and refuses to go inside. The gracious father goes out to him and treats him to come in. And the elder brother just blows up in his face. I've worked hard for you. I never left you. I never walked away. I never took your money. I served you, never disobeyed. And you didn't even give me a goat. He probably went to church with him every single week, sat next to him, did the extra work when it needed to be done, picked up where his brother had slacked off. While he was off swanning around the world into far countries, he was left shoveling manure, cleaning gutters. And part of you really feels for this older brother. He's not had it easy. He's been working hard and his brother slips up, runs off with half the family inheritance, returns and gets a party. But was this elder brother the loving son that he portrays himself as? What was his motivations? Was it always good? Was he there because he loved the father much more than the prodigal? The prodigal clears off and begs to come back as a servant, but is told he is a son. Verse 31, you see that the elder brother is also called a son. But it doesn't sound like it from the way he speaks. He doesn't use language of family, but of servant. Look at this, verse 29. He answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. And then verse 30, when he's talking of his brother, he says, but when this son of yours came, do you see the switch? Do you see that though this brother had been faithful, he'd been a servant, he'd been a servant or a slave to this dad, he'd worked really hard. Did he really love the father? Or was he only in it for things too? What adds to this, again, is just the way the story is told. It's just told in such a way that Jesus words it that he leaves so many questions hanging in the air. The in-out language of verse 28 is really interesting. 
Again, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The son that was on the inside that stayed was now on the outside. And the son who'd ran away, who was on the outside, is now on the inside. It switches it. And actually, the passage never answers it. It just leaves it hanging in the air. And you're meant to be thinking, hmm, what's going on here? And then following through on the narrative, the father goes out to him and treats him. The father comes across as the most gracious character in the whole story. It's wonderful. He says to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. He was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. And as I said, despite his attempts to ostracize himself from the family that the father calls the son, his son. He says, all that is mine is yours. He's bringing him back in. And remember, just go to that scene on a fringe street. Jesus finishes the parable. And as he was telling the parable, I imagine he was looking up throughout it. But as he finishes this last parable, he's staring right at the Pharisees. There's silence around He's prompting them. He's saying, does he go in? Or does he stay outside, sulk at the father's actions? What do you do? Again, we'll go through the parables one more time. Parable 1, verse 7. Jesus kind of explains them all. He says, just so I tell you, this is the shepherd and the sheep. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10 the lost coin, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. And in parable three, the father throws a party for one son who repents. The question he's asking with the elder brother is, what will you do? It leaves it on this cliffhanger, this open-ended story. Do you care about the lost being found? Because God does. God wants to seek and save the lost. Do you? And that's my question tonight. Do we care? Do I care? Do we as a church have the heart of God for the lost? It's not a jab for us to kind of double our evangelism because some of us here are doing a fantastic job telling people about Jesus with a real heart and a real desire. But the parable probes us to ask the question of ourselves. Do we care? Do we have the same heart as God? Because it's so easy to get into a mindset of this is comfortable. This works. The rotas are full. We have our seat every week that we speak to the same people. We know just about everyone in church, so why bother? We're at max. We have two services. We have loads of people coming here. Why bother with a church plant when we're attracting enough people already? Because God's heart is for the lost, and so should ours be. Our hearts should not be annoyed at someone coming to faith, and I don't think they are. But our hearts should rejoice. Heaven has a party. But looking at things like the money series in the mornings, are we putting our money where our heart is? The shepherd went out to search. The woman searched diligently. The father threw a party. Do we care for the lost around us? At work, at home, at uni, in class, in my football team, in your book club, in Morningside and Edinburgh, do we care for them? The Pharisees asked Jesus, why does he sit with sinners? Jesus answered, I came for sinners. I came for the lost. 
The gospel is wonderful news. It's good news. It's the news that we were once far off. We were once that sun in a far off land. And what it's saying is it's wonderful news and it's also wonderful news that goes out. News to have a party over. All of heaven rejoices. God's heart is for the lost. Our heart should be to seek and save the lost. What gives us courage and strength as we do that? What gives us energy bottled to make a fool fool of ourselves with the gospel? That we were lost and are now found. That God's heart was for the lost. God's heart, Jesus' heart, and the heart of the disciple is to welcome repentant sinners. To rejoice over that. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful picture of the prodigal son. Lord, we thank you for your heart for the lost. We thank you that you rejoice over repentant sinners. Lord, we pray that our heart would be the same, that we would check our hearts and see that we have the same heart as you. And Lord, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.